Well, if you have your Bibles uh, with you today, we're going to be in 2 Peter chapter 1. Some of you might be wondering what happened to the 1 Samuel series. Well, we're still going to go through 1 Samuel, but by the providence of God, I'm in a, a preaching practicum class right now. And over the next uh, four weeks, not this week, but the next four, I'm going to be given texts in different genres of the Bible that I need to preach. So I'm preaching for the glory of God, and I'm be preaching to be graded the next uh, four weeks. Uh, so if you're wondering why we're not jumping right back into 1 Samuel, we'll get there in about a month and a week. Um, so this week, we are in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1-15, through 15, because uh, I feel like the Lord has laid this heavy on my heart. 2 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He's granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire." For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and with virtue, with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind. Have he forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins? Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these things, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these things, qualities. Though you know them and are established in the truth, that you have, I think it is right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by the way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I'll make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Let's pray. Father, I pray that Your Word would hit us exactly the way You mean it to hit us. Father, as we look at things that may seem to be contradictory, that may seem to be opposed to each other, but Your Word tells us they fit perfectly together, our salvation by grace, 100% You're doing, and our effort, which is our effort in Your power, help us to understand these things. God, I pray that we may 
make our calling and election sure. I just uh, pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The reason why I've chosen this text this morning is because one of the books I've been assigned for my preaching practicum class is The Supremacy of God in Preaching by John Piper. And this is turned in to one of my favorite and most humbling books that I've ever read. And a good section of this book focuses on Jonathan Edwards and the way he preached and why he preached the way he did. And he was accused by people in Boston, high up clergy members like Charles Chauncey, of being way too animated at stirring up people's emotions with the way he talked about hell, the way he talked about heaven, the way he talked about God. Charles Chauncey said, just preach the Word. God will do His work. The problem for Edwards is how he viewed what saving faith was. He said, saving faith has two essential qualities in it. The first one, he says, saving faith includes belief of the truth and an answerable disposition of the heart. What he said is, saving faith is understanding the Gospel with the heart that loves the Gospel. That loves the God who saves a person. It's not just knowledge. It's not just a confession. Yes, I believe Christ is real. But saving faith not only makes the right profession, but it has a heart that loves the profession. Love is this key ingredient in saving faith. And he goes on to say, when a person is saved and converted by God, it's as if like in an acorn. As that acorn goes into the ground, everything for the fruit of this tree and the growth of this tree is there at the beginning. But it's still to come is well. It isn't seen yet. And so he says the second part of saving faith is preserving, persevering in the faith. Here's what he says. For God has respect to perseverance of faith as being virtually in the first act of saving faith. And then he says, so he's saying preserving starts way back at the beginning. It's in that acorn is the illustration he gives. But then he says this, we are justified by faith once and for all at our conversion, but we must and most certainly will also persevere in faith and its fruit in holy affections given to us in seed form at our conversion. Piper writes, Therefore, Edward says, there is as much need of a person exercising care and diligence to preserve in order to their salvation as there is of their attention and care to repent and be converted. What he's saying is, to be saved, it's just as important to persevere as it is that you confess Christ the first time and repented. If you lack either of those, you will not be saved. So then, Piper writes, this will have a tremendous implication for the way Edwards preaches. Perseverance is necessary for final salvation. Therefore, every sermon is a salvation sermon. 
not just because of its aim to convert sinners, but also in its aim to preserve holy affections, the holy affections of the saints, and so enable them to confirm their calling and election and be saved. So that's, that's where Edwards is ringing of our text. That's what he's thinking of. And it hit me like it's never hit me before that every sermon is a salvation sermon, whether you're saved or whether you're being saved. Because the reality is, if you do not persevere in faith, you will prove to have never been saved. You never had the supernatural faith that perseveres to the end. I know most of you have heard the term eternal security. It holds within it the idea that once a person is saved, you can be eternally secure. The truth in this statement is, once a person's saved, it is true they will not lose their salvation. That is true. The problem is, it points to a lot of times a point in time where a person confesses Christ and then hand the preacher hands them eternal security and says, there you go. You're saved now and you can be secure for the rest of your life. The problem is, is the Bible talks about professions as some professions as being false. Matthew 7, the whole book of 1 John. So how can a person be sure that they are in fact elect by God? How can a person know that they are saved? Well, our text tells us what saving faith looks like and calls us to something. And so two doctrines get mixed up. The doctrine of, yes, once a person's saved, they'll always be saved. That's true. But if saved, always saved is more accurate. Because the what about assurance? How do I know I'm real? How do I know I'm not a false professing Christian? You see, that's the doctrine of assurance. And we can be assured that we are secure in Christ as we look at Christ with love for Him and cling to Him as our only hope. But the scary thing is, is that an idle heart falls away from a living God. And so God will preserve all those whom He saves and He'll use means to do it. And what Edwards is saying is one of the means He uses is the preacher. And so I wrote in the column of the book, this is why a person cannot go to a church where they do not preach the Word. I don't care how long your family has been there. You need to preserve, be preserved to the end. This is why church attendance is not some legalistic rule. If someone asks you, why do you go to church? A good answer would be, because I must be saved. I must persevere. My heart will go somewhere else if I don't. So if I were to ask you the question, did you come in here this morning to be saved? The right answer ought to be yes. Whether you're a Christian already and you need to persevere in faith, or whether you come in here ne having never trusted in Christ. And if you've read the New Testament, you've heard so many verses that allude to this. Paul described his life like this. Here, here's what he commended to Christians. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Yes, you've confessed Christ. Take hold of it. Fight. 
Are you going to be, are you going to preserve your soul? Are you going to be in the Word? Are you going to be under preaching? Are you going to be around Christians? Are you going to trust your own strength to continue loving Christ when the world is offering you a thousand other things to treasure? That's the question. Luke 16.16 Jesus says, the law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached and everyone forces his way into it. I don't know how you viewed your salvation, but the Bible describes the way, the type of life the people who are saved have is a fight, a labor, a battle, a forcing your way into a kingdom. Does that fit with the way you view your assurance? You want assurance that's real assurance, not one that just says, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. You know, this is what we can do. I like my old way of thinking. So as we come to this text, my prayer is that you let the text speak to you. That you take it honestly. Because the Bible speaks of salvation as, yes, at the moment you receive Christ, but a process as well. Listen to 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 2. Paul says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the Gospel that I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, past, present, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the Word I preached to you, unless I preached in vain. Do you hear that? You're being saved right now as you're being made into the image of Christ. And it will come to its fulfillment when Christ returns. But you will not continue becoming like Christ if you don't hold fast to the Word in which Paul preached. You will not. Faith comes by hearing. It's preserved by hearing God's Word. We have a need to endure. It's all by the way of introduction. Just so you feel how the Bible says this. Revelation 14.12 Here's a call for endurance of the saints. Those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors for their deeds follow them. Blessed are those who labor to the point when they die in their labor to see Christ as glorious and as their treasure and stay in the Word. This is how Paul described his life. Jesus continually also said, the one who endures to the end will be saved. Paul says, if I live in the flesh, it means fruitful labor. I hope that's enough to make you ready to consider this. Look at point one in your notes. First of all, the bold statement above is what I'm driving towards in this sermon. Make every effort to live a godly life in the knowledge and power of Christ. Emphasis on effort. Point one, know the power and the promise of godliness. Verse, verses 1-4 through four speak of God's grace. Look at verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who've obtained 
of faith, of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. couple things. Those who have obtained a faith through Christ's life. Faith is a gift bought for you in Jesus Christ. Paul describes all believers' faith of, as an equal standing. How can he say that? if it were just our own personal faith we conjured up. This is the gift of faith we receive by the grace of God. And notice he says, with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. There is no other verse in the Bible that more clearly states that Jesus is in fact God and Savior. There is no other way around in the Greek to say it than this. And then look at verse 2. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. No faith comes outside of knowledge of Christ. No peace comes outside of Christ. God doesn't give grace outside of Christ. And then He says this, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life in godliness. It is only by God's power that you can be godly. It is only by God's power that I can be godly. And in our salvation, His divine power was gifted to us for the godly life, for everything that pertains to a godly life through the knowledge of Him. This power is never coming apart from faith in Christ. This power comes through Christ. This is why you need the Bible. This is why you need sermons. Power comes as through faith as you trust in God. who called us to His own glory and excellence. This is not an invitation. This, These verses are talking about God saving us. He gives us power and He calls us to His own excellence and His own glory. It's an effectual call. When God calls in this way, a sinner saved and they're called to be like Him in all of His excellence and all of His godliness. Christ calls no one to be ungodly. Yes, He came to save sinners, but what does it mean to save sinners but to transform them into the image of Christ? And so He says here, just let this sink in, I don't know if you believe there's divine power that's been granted to you, but the Bible says there has been. I don't know what excuses you have for not living a godly life, but this verse seems to snatch them all up through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. Those who know God in Jesus Christ have everything they need for eternal life. He effectively, effectively called us to be like Him. In 1 Peter 2.9, we see something of this effectual call. Peter says, but you, different from the false teachers, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. This is a salvific call of God. And then verse 4 says, by which He's granted to us his precious and very great promises. As he calls them to his own glory 
we see the promises, not the least of which is the Spirit that indwells us in the new heart that we're given, but the promise that Peter focuses on is the promise of being like God. Actually being godly. It's absolutely amazing. He's granted to us His very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. This doesn't mean that you and I become God. What it means is is we become like Him in His godliness, in His morality, in His virtue, in the glorious virtues of Christ. God promised in your salvation that you will be like God morally. Is that shocking to you? Right now, you're in the process. One day, it will be absolutely true. That's a promise that these false teachers that Peter is dealing with don't like because they live ungodly lives and they're claiming to be saved. But the promise of our salvation, one of the promises, yes, we'll get the Holy Spirit. Yes, we'll give it a new heart. But He will make us clean. He will cleanse us from our idols. This is all God's working. And then it says, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world. When we're saved, we're no longer enslaved. You don't, sin isn't your master anymore. Yes, we can still sin as Christians, but you don't have to. You have the Holy Spirit. Yes, you can walk in your flesh, but you can always walk in the Spirit. God has provided. Has He failed in Jesus Christ to provide what we need to walk in godliness? No, no one can do it perfectly until Christ comes. But yes, as we'll see in this text, we will in fact be growing by the grace of God in His power as Christ is set forth before us. And so, in verses 1-4, through we see God at work. It's the indicative. It's, this is the God working in our lives. But then we get to the imperative. We get to the command. The, in light of this, do this. So point one, to summarize it, God's given us promises that will be like Christ and He will be the power behind it. Point two, know the effort of godliness. Here's what Peter says. So, so never get this backwards. This effort always telescopes out of the grace of God and God empowering it. If you flip it around, you get work salvation. But rather, our commands come out of the grace of God. For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. You will never grow in godliness outside of faith. It's always step one. It's always step one. Everything telescopes. Every virtue telescopes out of faith. Where's your faith going to be built up? In seeing the excellencies of God in His Word in reading the Word, in hearing the Word preach, and having friends share the Word with you. For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. I don't think it's that one is just one step on top of the other. I do think faith needs to be first and love needs to be last. I think there's more virtues. I don't, I don't think Peter's saying I'm exhausting the virtues. 
But what he's saying is the picture that you all ought to be striving for. Your effort ought to be to grow out of this faith that's been supernaturally began in your heart with effort. Nothing good in this world comes from laziness. Nothing. It's the, salvation isn't any different. God does not save you in such a way that it promotes laziness. God has willed to persevere His people by causing them to strive and battle in their walk. All godly virtues in the Christian life find their source in faith. This, this is Tom Schreiner. In trusting God for everything and the culmination and climax of such faith is love. How's your faith? How's your love and everything in between? What's your life look like? Do you even care about any of this stuff? It's a good question to ask. It's the question Peter is asking. I couldn't help but think of the parable of Jesus in Luke 13 when someone comes to Jesus and says to Him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? It's a sobering question. How many are going to be saved, Lord? This is Luke 13, verse 23. And Jesus says, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside, knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us, he will answer to you, I never know, I don't know you or where you come from. Then they'll begin to say, we ate and drank with you in your presence. We took communion. We fellowshiped in your meal. And you taught us in our streets. But He will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from Me, all you workers of evil. You see, their life was not defined by a striving to enter through a growing faith, growing in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. To add one virtue on top of the other by the power of God working in us. He says, yes, you maybe came to hear my teaching. And yes, maybe you ate the meal. But was there a striving to enter the narrow. You know, it's amazing. They're seeking to enter. But the verb Jesus calls for is to strive. What does He say? The road is wide and easy that leads to destruction. The road is narrow and hard that leads to life. No wonder Paul described his life as a labor a striving, a struggle, a fight, a crucifying. And it's sobering as we think about these things. The writer of Hebrews says it this way, strive for peace with everyone and for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Is, it, is that crazy? See that no one fails to obtain the grace of God? I thought grace was gifted to me. Well, it was. But there's a striving that clings to grace. That it stays. That your heart continues to love Christ. Is this of your own power? No. Verses 3 and 4 tell us, this is the power of God working in us. Paul says this, 1 Timothy 4.10, For this is the toil 
are for this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God. Isn't that weird? You think he would say, we got our hope set on the living God, so we chill. <laughs> you know what Paul understands? He understands where he's at in the salvation process. He's in the process of being saved by the means that God wanted to use, which is striving in His power that's been gifted to us. And so, point two, know the effort of godliness. It's not of your own effort. It flows out of the grace that God's given you. But He won't make it happen magically. He's given you the Spirit and He's telling you, work. Point three, know the assurance of godliness. This is a contingent verse, contingent statement, verse 8. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing. So there's two things there. Do you own the virtues that he just described in the previous verses? Are these yours to some degree? Obviously, it's not to perfection or the Lord's Prayer wouldn't even make sense where we're supposed to pray for the forgiveness of our sins, for our trespasses. But if these qualities are yours, that's contingent, and are increasing. Now, the way this comes over in English is a little bit deceptive. It doesn't mean like, okay, you're saved here, you grow 5% this year, 5% more. It's just like, this is how we can read this text. What the word actually means is like overflowing. Are these virtues yours? And do they overflow to those around you? Are they evident where, where they, they flow out of your life? For if they are yours and overflowing or increasing, they keep you from being, and he goes negative here, ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there's a way to have knowledge of Christ and to be unfruitful and ineffective. And it happens to those who aren't making every effort. in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You could say it positively, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they will make you effective and fruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I just think of the soils we just talked about a couple weeks ago. As for a good soil, there are those who, hearing the Word, hold fast. Hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit in patience. See, the good fruit doesn't just chill after they hear the Word of God. Coast to the finish line. They'll be unproductive and unfruitful and prove to be a false type of faith. And then he says, for whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he is cleansed from former sins. Here's what he's saying. He's saying anyone who does this, here's the problem. They saw Christ glorious at a moment, for a moment, but they strayed away. He failed to be strike awe in this sinner that they've been forgiven of their sins and therefore they could care less about being like Christ. Here's a fact. If you glory in your salvation in Christ, you will strive to live a godly life. It's just, it's a fact. But if you don't make every effort, 
and you quit looking at Christ, other things will captivate your heart and fruit will cease and potentially a person can walk away from their only hope of salvation. And that's why he says then in verse 10, therefore brothers, be all the more diligent. I just can't express enough the verbiage. Be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. Isn't this amazing? God elected you before you were ever born. And He sovereignly called you. But Peter says, make it sure. Have assurance that this in fact is you because one of the promises Jesus gives you is that He's going to make you like Him. So, strive with everything you have to see Jesus Christ, have the knowledge of Christ, so that you want to live a godly life. How can you know that you're saved? Do you cling to Him? It's not whether or not you sin or not. It's when you sin. Do you cling to Him and love Him and pray that next time you might have the faith and the strength and the power to overcome and be on the process of becoming conquerors over it. It's amazing to me. This is not an easy sermon. Someone could easily say, so which is it? Do I have to do it or does God have to do it? Well, God has to do it and your effort has to flow out of His power, but if you don't do it, you'll go to hell. There's no other way around it. You might say, well, I just think this is falling away. In verse 10, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these things, you'll never fall. You might th think he just has in mind like stumble. Screw up a little bit. But look at what he says verse 11. For in this way, it's like a road. This is what the road looks like. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul isn't messed up when he says, take hold of eternal life to which you were called. Paul isn't crazy when he says, now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, source, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and all these things. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul's telling the exact truth. If your life is marked by those things, you are on the road to hell. It's true. You might say, well, Sam, are you perfect? I'm not perfect. But I pray to God that if you look at my life, you'll find a heart that hates all those things and is struggling against those things. Because the way to the entrance of the kingdom of God is through the hard, down the hard road of striving. Yes, in the power of God. Yes, in the grace of God. Yes, looking ahead to a kingdom and to a Christ, a conquering king who's promised one day you will in fact be perfect. Paul says it this way, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor the adulterers, nor the men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greed, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor the revilers, nor the swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. In some worse, and such were some of you, but you were washed 
You are sanctified. You are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of our God. You see, the whole premise of Peter starting this book this way is the Christians are being deceived by false teachers that are claiming Christ, but their lives are denying Christ. And what he's trying to drill into their brain is what it looks like when God has a hold of a person's heart. And there's a battle. And there's a striving. So know the assurance of godliness. It is a beautiful thing to go to sleep at night. Know you'll never go a day without sin. But it's a beautiful thing to go to bed battling, to wake up battling, It's a comfort. You, I mean, you got to think about this. You want to be battling. You would not be battling if God has not done a work in your life. Don't take that for granted. It's amazing. Our salvation. And now point four. Know the means of Christian stirring in godliness. Here's what Peter says, Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these things, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. Here's what he's saying. He's not saying he knows this isn't new information for him. I know you know these things and you've been established in them. But he says, isn't it amazing? I always intend to never quit reminding you of these things, though you know them and are established in them in the truth that you have, I think it is right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by the way of reminder. This is why Edwards did what he did. He needed the people to smell the fires of hell every week in the cool breeze of heaven as Edwards says it in his word. Because he's stirring and he's stirring and he's stirring and he's holding Christ up because he knows this is how God will keep His people to the end. To the point where they die trusting Him. For us to live Christian lives not exhorting each other is crazy. It's crazy. And then he says, since I know that I'm going to die soon, Jesus told me I'm going to die. That's what he says in verse 14. And then he says, and I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. What things? Strive. He says, to the day I die, I'm going to tell you, strive, strive. Look at Christ. Urge each other on. Here's how the writer of Hebrews says it in Hebrews 3. I love this passage. Verse 6, But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. He's juxtaposing Moses as a servant over God's house. And we are His house if indeed we hold fast to our confidence and are boasting in our hope. Therefore, the Holy Spirit says, Today... If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the day of rebellion, or as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray and they have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they will not enter my rest. Therefore, now get this. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil and unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. He's talking to Christians. Take care, brothers, lest there be this slow fade of leading you to fall away from the living God. And then he says this, 
but exhort one another every day, as long as it's called the day, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. You have heard so much today. I mean, I've taken you through a lot of texts. I hope they all felt like they were driving with exactly what the Holy Spirit wanted in the same direction. I couldn't decide. Should, should I preach Philippians 3? Should I preach Second Peter 1? We don't have time to do Philippians 3. I was going to take you through it quick. <laughs> Read it. It's amazing at how he... Paul says, I'm not done striving. Not till the day I die. I'm not striving. But he says to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So it's my prayer that you will rightly find assurance in God as you cling to Jesus as your only hope, as you strive with everything you have. Listen, if you want to be a good Christian friend, you don't just keep your mouth shut when you see your brother slowly falling away from the living God. You speak up. They might not like you. This is how we preserve each other. This is how we last till the end. And this is why you need preaching. This is why you need God's Word. This is why you need Christian fellowship. And this is why you need prayer. Father, I pray that we would find it a glorious promise that You're in the work of conforming us into the image of Jesus. God, I pray that our hope would not rest in our own power or our own doing, but in the very works that You produce inside of us. You even miraculously change our efforts in our strivings we give all the glory to You in that. Father, we thank You that we are saved by grace and not by works. We can add one thing to our salvation, but we thank You, God, that in our salvation, our salvation works. Lord, I pray that this would help those here who need to tremble. Tremble? For those here who need to pray and reconsider their way they've been living, those who've been falling away from the living God, Lord, I pray that this would weigh heavy on them, but not that it would lead to despair, but they would look up to the one who forgives, that they might see You glorious, that seeing You as glorious as the One who pays for sins might draw their hearts to obedience. And Lord, I just pray for those of us here who can say by the grace of God, I've been battling. Help us, Lord, not fall away. Help us be like Paul who says, I'll never quit striving. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.